0: How many of you in, were here Sunday morning and you could discern what God was doing in the spirit by the end? Now, the elders gave you a clue. Or somebody, whoever was announced, gave it a clue. But I want to know if you could discern in the spirit what was happening and what God was doing that whole service. Can anybody tell me? Raise your hand if you got it, if you feel like you got it. No wrong answers, but I am looking for one answer Oh, come on. This is the time to miss it. All right. Anybody else? All right. You want me to? No, we're not going to be lazy tonight. Tell me. All right. Come on up here. What are you doing? Come here. Yeah. You raised your hand, right? Chris, right? Chris. All right. Give it to me, right? Like, give me a short version. What do you believe God was doing? What was He imparting in the Spirit? So, my wife and I. Oh, yeah. We're talking to it. Oh. Hello, hello. Here you go. So my wife and I actually weren't even at the service, but we watched it a few days later over Facebook, um, and we could tell what God was doing. I mean, at least I think so. Okay, go. I think it definitely was deliberate. repentance session beautiful like legitimate repentance that we haven't had in months so all right amen is he right amen he's dead on it's not the answer i was looking for but he's dead right all right who else it sort of is i would just describe it different anybody else have something now there's not a right or wrong answer So, and and the the multifacetedness of Jesus is, it's beautiful. When you let the Holy Spirit actually have His way, He can meet everybody where they are at the same time. you know, one thing can happen and people receive it 50 different ways because the Holy Spirit has this amazing ability to make it specific to you. Now, who else walked away with something you felt like you could discern what the Holy Spirit was doing at Heart of the Father through Sunday morning? Anybody else? Don't be chickens. Take the risk. Who else? I thought I saw a hand go up. No one? All right, Andrew, what do you got? <laughs> Nothing? Wine was, uh, wine was singling you out. All right. So what I want to let me challenge you with this, then I won't make it any more awkward than it already. No, I'm kidding. Um, what I will say to you is what you want to do as a body, if you can begin to, if we can leave churchianity behind in our thinking no 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 uh, i'm not trying to take a dig i'm trying to say that most people are are very churchy in what they're thinking but and, and if you can get rid of just this idea that we're coming to do the church thing on sunday and then if you can in turn realize that god is coalescing you into a body and then every single person when we come in to gather and assemble can begin to discern what god is doing so they announced at the very beginning what that this service is about overcoming right you guys remember not what you guys said barry so so um right away in the spirit as people of the spirit you can understand that god flowing through leadership setting a setting a direction what we begin to do is come into agreement with our faith to the direction so, so, and I'm not saying this to be mean or even to be like critical or whatever, but, but what we have to understand is as people of the Spirit, we are constantly operating in the Spirit, right? And so what we have to understand is, is that when they announced, hey, Sunday morning we're going to come into overcoming, they stood up three people that gave you examples of overcoming. It is an established fact that God is going to release a grace that's going to cause people to start overcoming. So as people of the Spirit, what you learn to do is don't just listen to, um, uh, you know, announcements or just kind of enjoy Allison's beautiful beautiful voice. And uh, you don't want to just kind of listen and consume and, and, you know, be a uh, kind of a consumer of it. You want to take your part because that's what bringing your supply. So a lot of bringing our supply isn't just... What I'm doing, I'm prophesying or something. It is that, but it's not only that. Part of your supply is coming into spiritual agreement and oneness. Your supply is entering into and being willing to be one with the direction God is taking the entire body. So what you can do and appropriate by faith is when they say, hey, overcoming, your immediate thought would be, How does God want me to overcome in my life where I'm not? And how is he calling us to overcome as a body, right? And so by faith, you begin to reach out and say, I trust that this is from you. Lord, what are you saying in my life? How can I come? Because the stories of the three people are not unique. Every single person in this room is overcoming. Now, we win some, we lose some in the short term, but you're going to win, right? Right? And so, so what we're talking about the gifts, and we're talking about the spiritual flow, it's a little deeper than do I have the gift of prophecy or tongues or interpretation. It is that, but it's deeper in that you and I are people of the Spirit, and when we come together, we can start to discern by the Spirit and begin to operate and connect to what God is doing. When Alice is singing, I felt the oil, I mean, I, probably every one of you, I, I, would, I would imagine, maybe there'd be a person in the room that would that would say that one of the songs tonight um what really touched them and we would probably get all the songs covered right so it wasn't necessary that one song was more anointed than the other or not as anointed it was really the ability of the holy spirit to make something happen specific to you and make it stand out to you in a powerful way but when she started singing um now I don't want you to get too caught up in that i'm just trying to say that that um, when she started singing about there's a man on the throne and every eye is upon man, I felt the oil on that. And, and what I mean by that is if you can just imagine in your mind every eye focused on him, and then you start to realize it was never about the top 40 song that we're singing tonight. It was never about that. It was about God raising up a people whose eyes are fixed on him. And so when you start singing songs like that, the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to stir you up and he begins to bear witness to the fact that you are his and he begins to redirect your gaze off of everything else but him. That's how you can not just experience someone else's worship, but in the middle of your worship, you can connect to it in a deeper way and allow the Holy Spirit to make that real to you. Right? Am I just talking over your head? you're like, this guy's crazy. Like, when's he going to get into the book? All right, so hopefully that'll speak to you. Because what we want to do, we want to come together every time we assemble. Think less about what they're going to do for me. In other words, man, they're going to have that all nicely wrapped in a packaging. I mean, we know at, at 10 o'clock or at 6.30, we're going to start with a uh, somebody's going to open. We're going to do some songs. Think less about that. Think more about I'm coming in. God's really going to do something. We don't know what it is, but we're ready to connect to it. You see what I'm saying? So every time we get together, it, it, it doesn't have to be the only reason why it feels like we're in a routine because we bring the routine with us, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about um, the gift of prophecy. So this is a fun one, and I won't be able to cover everything in the book. And I want to hit. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to highlight. Um, a couple of big points here, and I want to talk around some big issues. And what the goal is tonight, if I, if I, if I am, if the Holy Spirit through me is successful in convincing you that every single person in this room is prophetic, I don't ever want to hear you say you're not prophetic. Now, what I didn't say is that every person in this room has the gift of prophecy, or that every person in this room is a prophet. Not saying that. But I'm saying it is impossible for you not to be prophetic simply because in order for you to be saved, you have to carry a prophetic revelation of who Jesus is. So, so, so while um, you know, there are some things that we're going to talk about, every, part of the problem I find in the body a lot, and I found this to be consistently true, because um, we're, we're all maturing. So I don't, I don't see this as a problem. It's natural. But, but what I've found in, in some places is that there are t- a t- entire assemblies of people that are more carnal than they are spiritual. Because they haven't been taught to live in spiritual realities. Right? Prayer is entirely spiritual. The reason why a lot of people don't have deep prayer lives because they haven't entered into the spiritual part of prayer. And you're not partnering with God in the spirit for what he's praying. If you don't have a deep prayer life, you need to get around people who do, Diane. No, really. Because these people have something that's impartational. they can release to you in the Spirit. This is is the beauty. There's no condemnation in that. The beauty is, if you don't have a deep prayer life, praise God. There are people in this body that do, and you just hang around them for a couple hours. Like I was living with um, Barry and Diane for a while. And I, they, they said, Oh, you can just come in anytime you want. And we, I was super scared about that because I, I hate feeling like I'm invading people's privacy. But I snuck in one day and they didn't know this. But Diane was on the floor talking to heaven. And I could feel the glory of God when I walked in that room. And I think she, I think she heard me come in because she got off the floor real quick. But I'm, I'm going to tell you if you don't have a prayer life, don't be shy and ashamed about it. Get around people who know how to touch heaven, let, let what they have rub off on you. Man, stop all the counseling. I need you to pay me energy. Say, hey, can I come and pray with you for an hour? I just want to piggyback while you go riding around in the spirit. (laughs) Come on. All right. So let's talk about prophecy. My goal tonight, every one of you is prophetic. Do all of you have the gift of prophecy? No. Do all of you have the potential to prophesy? Yes, and the reason why I would argue that is because when the Spirit of God begins to manifest Himself in the building, the witness that gets produced out of the mouths of His people is always prophetic. You cannot testify and offer a witness to the son of god without the very witness of that coming out of prophetic revelation are you with me so when he says the spirit of prophecy or is this is the when is with the testimony of jesus or the witness of jesus is the spirit of prophecy Um, What that really means is we can begin to declare and witness out of the inner revelation that only the Father can bring to our heart. And as you begin to testify to that, you are in essence prophecy. The highest prophecy there is, is to speak forth and to declare the glory of God, in my opinion. Now, I know there's charismatic versions of that, but I'm just telling you the highest thing that there is that God's doing is His name is being exalted in the earth. And when you and I exalt that name, we are prophetically declaring truth. All right, you with me? I like what Jason Hooper says at the very top. Prophecy is super cool in that when we speak prophetically, our words become power-packed, presence-filled, grace-shaped containers that bring heaven to earth in the hearts of those who hear us. Now, I can really get into it when you say it really poetic like that. That sounds super cool. And it really is, in essence, the truth. What you need to understand about prophetic utterance, and I could get into a lot tonight, but Scripture tells us things like when we speak, we we should speak as if we are the oracle of God. What he's saying in that is that our language and our ability to speak is entire, entirely unique in the earth in as much as it is influenced by the Holy Spirit. We, do you understand that tonight as a believer, that when you speak out of what the Holy Spirit influences you to say, that is entirely otherworldly? This is why the Lord says so much, especially in James that our tongue is so powerful, and if we don't watch it, it gets set on fire by hell. And I've had to have many fire extinguishers in my life. But, but the power of the tongue is so powerful in that when we come into agreement in anything that God is saying, that is prophetic. That's why we need to, as the people of God, learn how to harness and 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 to discipline our hearts and our mouths i'm still working on that by the way i know you guys i know you are no i'm kidding uh i'm totally kidding no, my mouth gets me in trouble all the time i'm just gonna be a minute all right but i'm but i'm telling you what i purpose in my heart to do is i i purpose to surrender my mouth so that i'm more in agreement with god than anything else and it's hard, because, man, you're, you're, hard, you're, you're hard, you know, you get hurt. Life, there's a, there's a popular song, or nice, a, there's a song I really like, it was super popular in the 1960s, and um, I, uh, I know I'm dating myself, whatever. Um, but, uh, but in the one line of the song, I don't know, it's stuck with me ever since I heard it, but um, the, the line is something like, um, people, you know, they say I've changed. Um, and then they go, and they're talking about just wh- how life happens. And this one long line says, "But something's lost and something's gained in living every day." That's a powerful statement, and it's true. Just simply living, we we can lose something and we can gain something, and and it's powerful. When we live by the Spirit and we allow the Holy Spirit to control our tongue. What he can begin to do is cause us to mature in such a way that we are speaking mostly, or if not entirely, in cooperation and partnership with God. I'm not there yet. But what I believe and what I know the Lord wants to do and mature in all of us is he wants us to learn how to, in a sense, make the majority or really all of our speech in complete agreement with him. I'd say that's a pretty great goal to have, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't think you lose in that gold, do you? And so what, what Jason is saying here, when we speak prophetically, notice that our words become power-packed. And we talked a lot about this in the last time, but I'm gonna just I'm gonna remind you of one statement. When we get excited about, um, we get excited about the prophetic, we get, we will tend to get excited about running around and giving people words, and that's good. But the Word itself isn't really as much of the focus as what the Word contains. So if you begin to understand as you are being influenced by the Holy Spirit, if you can begin to see that your words really are containers that the grace of God is carried in, then you'll start to realize that my words have a powerful impact on a person's life. Now, some people get a little crazy and, you know, I can have what I speak and all that stuff. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that as the people of God, if we will understand that when there was nothing, God spoke, that's how important it is. That in the chaos, what did God do? He spoke. And so, a a powerful thing, especially in community, is learning how to challenge one another to stay in agreement with God in our language. It's hard, man. It's tempting to say crazy stuff. But if we can begin to understand that our words are nothing more than containers, then the real question is, what do our words contain? What are they delivering to someone else? Powerful. All right, so um, let me jump down and um let me go to um, the top of page 44 and let's start talking about there are several different definitions of the actual word prophetic in the old in hebrew it carries the idea of flowing forth. And, um, you know, some people, when they prophesy, uh, everyone kind of tends to prophesy a little differently, but some, it's like this gushing river and they're talking 90 miles an hour. One thing, cool things I picked up from Jeremiah Johnson was he, he, he talks so slow, it puts you to sleep. I feel like he could speed that up a little bit. But for me, I know, right? And then he's monotone and I'm like, <sighs> no, I'm kidding. I've always said that because I love it. But one of the things I learned from Jer is um, I'm one of the guys that can go boo Like I can I can tell you like a thousand words in two seconds, you know. And one of the things I caught from him is instead of gushing out and just flowing, because thank God for cell phones, you wouldn't even remember a, like a third of what I say half the time. But but then you got that little cell phone to bring it back. But um, when you learn how to when you learn how to tame that a little bit. Then flowing forth and and it's not the the volume or the quantity of the words that you say it's the quality but that Hebrew word is about flowing forth the Greek word really means to speak on behalf of another and isn't that what prophecy really is all about it's not about using your imagination just to come up with cool things to say to people no as the people of God you can by faith as long as your heart is pure Begin to allow the Holy Spirit to influence what you say to other people. This is why when I start teaching people on the prophetic, the very first thing that I do um, when, when we do predominantly prophetic teaching is we start teaching you how to learn how to exhort and encourage by the Spirit. This is why we say, hey, ask God, what does he love about Allison or Brandon? Start there. Because what's the worst that can happen? You make up something, okay, but it's still wonderful and great to them, right? And I'm not saying just make stuff up. But what I'm saying is when we get into the habit of learning how to build up and how to look for ways to encourage people, I promise you, you'll stop. You, you'll step over into the prophetic and not even think about it. Because all we're learning to do is instead of tearing down, we're learning to build up. And so if you left here tonight not focused on, man, i got to get that deep prophetic word and I've got to let the poetry just flow, drip from my lips like honey. No. What, what do you think could happen in this body? If if all what is it two hundred people that come in, what what happens if Sunday morning two hundred people descended in on this place caught a revelation of that and immediately all over this place began to start building one another encouraging one another how could you not have revival after that I mean isn't that powerful and so um, the Greek is to speak for another that means. In in, in, in in the in the greatest sense of this word, every one of us in this room is an ambassador or a representative leader that represents the nature and the person of Jesus. And in that, when we learn how to speak in agreement with Him, we are in essence speaking on behalf of Him, and we don't even have to give that a thus says the Lord. We just have to come into agreement with the heart of what He says. And we're going to learn that through Scripture, right? The more sure word of prophecy, prophecy, all right? And then the other, um, number three, is in the Old Testament, it carried the idea of foretelling. I'm going to say that real quickly, but then in four, New Testament, many foretelling, but can also be foretelling. So let's break that down. Prophecy, you know, you have a lot of people saying a lot of different things, but in its heart, the goal, think of it this way. What should have happened when you've authentically prophesied? Think about the end goal. I have accurately prophesied if one of these three conditions are present. I've edified the person, I've built them up, or I've encouraged them, right? So, so look at the end goal. Rather than looking at the quality or the the romantic poetry that sometimes many of us speak in, think about the end destination because if I've been successful in building a person up, it's a win regardless of how flowery the language is. Would you guys agree with that? Amen. So, So in that, understand that while prophecy can contain foretelling, can I just encourage you that foretelling the future really isn't the goal? And I would, I would, I would submit to you that, that, that as you're learning to prophesy, you want to avoid trying to foretell the future. And the reason why is, is because as we start getting into prophecy, everybody, I believe, can prophetically encourage and build one another up. Let's say it that way. I don't believe everyone can start accurately predicting the future. And, and not to be snarky or mean-spirited at all, but there were, I think, upwards of 50 prophets that just simply got it wrong about Trump. And it wasn't even that. Now you've got half the church all consumed in nationalism, and their attention's been deviated away from the kingdom of God. All right? Love America, love all that. But hey, we gotta, We got to keep the, the main thing the main thing, right? And that's the kingdom of God. All right. So in that, understand that foretelling or foretelling rather is not the goal. And so don't focus on trying to predict the future. Generally, you're going to see prophets do that more. And as we just uh, as, as we just seen, it, when when people's hearts aren't right, we start predicting wrongly. And and I would even make a case for you that 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 foretelling the future. in in the broadest sense, is way less normative that Facebook prophets want you to think. And I'm just going to say that. I'm 51. I've been doing this for 30 years. And I'm telling you, most of that stuff that you're hearing in predictions, you should outright ignore. Because it will get you off into endless controversies and silly things that distract away from what God's really doing. And you can get mad at me all you want. It's the truth. But here's the thing, when we begin to keep prop, the prophetic in their line, and I'm not saying, don't say for a minute that God doesn't predict the future. There are examples of that. But I'm saying all prophecy has to be Tested. That there are two things that grieve the Holy Spirit. One is despising prophecy. So if you are angry and have an offense toward it, if you been hurt by it, you can't do that. You have to posture your heart the right way. You don't have to be mad at the genuine. You're just you've just been hurt by the 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 inauthentic part of it, or in a way that has been abused. But but what we also have to understand is that while we shouldn't despise it, we also run the risk of grieving the Holy Spirit when we just accept everything everybody says as the gospel truth. Can I give you something real practical tonight? Every one of you has three things. I want you to really remember this. You ready? Every believer has a shelf, a plate, and a garbage can. You know where I'm going with this? all right so here we go i get a prophetic word and it flat out rejects something that i know to be the truth in scripture where does it immediately go don't give it another thought uh is the person do they need to be stoned depends on who it is no i'm kidding (laughs) totally kidding. we don't judge the prophet we judge the prophecy in that context, now you should judge the character, all that kind of stuff. That they shouldn't be doing that stuff, yes. But my point is, you're going to if it immediately um, if it immediately goes against something you know to be the absolute truth. Don't get mad at the person; just throw it away and move on. It's all good. It's not even worth the time, all right? Um, if it is something that's brand new to you, uh, uh, one of the most silliest things I've ever heard is prophecy always confirms. That's not even true. That's not even close to being true. You you will get brand new things in the prop in prophecy all the time. This is why you have to. This is why you have to accurately judge them. I can tell you some of the craziest things that have happened in my life. All came uh, somebody came and announced it to me prophetically, and it wasn't even close to being on my radar at all. Like I I, I you know. So I I just want you to I want you to think about that. Don't reject something just because um, it's confirmed or it isn't confirming something you already know. Rather than do that, what you should be asking is, does this bear witness with my spirit? And many times you're going to say, I don't know. And it's okay. So if I don't know, what do I do with it? Put it on the shelf. Anything that's of God has a large shelf life. It's a long shelf life. It ain't none of the stuff with all these silly preservative and additives that give you weird skin conditions. Like it's, it's the stuff that, that may, it's, it's made out of that beautiful, wonderful tasting fruit that endures, right? And so what you can begin to do is you can come into agreement. What I do with my words, I don't always have the context for all of them. There's words I've gotten several years ago. I'm still kind of, I know they're right. There's something about it that seems right, but I have no idea what that, what God's doing. Now I can guess and I found that when I posture my heart, just to wait and see. Now He knows I'm not just ignoring them. I'm praying about them. I'm like, is there, I'll check in with the Lord on certain words I've gotten and go, okay, Lord, um, do I know anything different now? You know, ha, have I arrived at a moment where the Word is starting to unfold to me in a deeper way? Right. So what we learn to do is we learn how to put things on the shelf. Now I'm gonna. Can I just can I grind one axe? You know, I feel like this is really good. I got a microphone. I at least get to do one axe. All right. Oh Lord, it it is staggering to me how much of church culture, not the Bible, but the culture that we do church in is simply made up. Like, do you realize how much people are passing around social media and there is absolutely no place in scripture where it exists? I, I, I mean, here in Maranatha, we were talking about water spirits. We were talking about all sorts of stuff. But, but do you realize these concepts are not even in the Bible? Like they're not. Some lady named Jezebel's in the Bible, and suddenly everybody's got Jezebel spirits. Do you, do you guys realize these things are authored by demons, and they get people carried away into silly superstitions? Now, I'm not saying that. C- c- can I just tell you every demonic spirit is Jezebelic? Every demonic spirit in the earth is controlling, and one of the manifestations that every single spirit operates in is to get you to operate in control. So it's not that uh, I, I'm saying that the, I, some of the ideas around that aren't right, but, but look at how much time gets, I mean, whole books have been written on the spirit of Jesus. And you know you're buying them. If I go to your house right now, I know you got some of them. No, i have totally messed but my point is, you know, Scripture says, Thessalonians says to test all things. And you don't want I to, I think some of it, is it a big deal? Well, it is in some respects because wars get fought over the stuff. I mean, churches split, crazy things happen. And you don't want to waste your time with stuff that doesn't have any substance in the Word at all. I'm not talking about theology. I'm not talking about once saved, always saved versus Arminianism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the dumb stuff that gets propagated in culture today, and it gets passed off as being prophetic. Now, so that's my axe I want to grind. Learn to be a people of the Word. And my, you know, one of the things I, and again, I'm I'm done, and Jeff can, uh, you know, he's got his own sharpening business, so um, he's helping me grind a little bit here. No, I'm kidding. Uh, By the way, shameless plug, if you have knives, to be sharpened, see, Jeff. Um, uh, But in that, um, and you know I'm okay doing that, right, because you sewed into it. All right, so anyway. uh, (laughs) But my point in saying that is this, is that what a colossal waste of time that we're getting involved in the things that really have no substance in the Word of God. They're, They're a complete, utter waste of time, and they're a distraction. Are you guys with me on that? I feel like you're getting mad at me. I feel like I hear teeth grinding. All right. All right. All right, the goal of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, comfort. Let's break those down. Edification is architecting or building up of one another. Think about it this way. God is constructing Aaron. All right? Aaron is a building. Doesn't the Bible say he's a a, a spiritual house in in one sense? He's He's a priest. God's building him up. What prophecy does is it it gets me in partnership with the engineer, and I start partnering with God to erect his foundation. When I start to look at him as the person, and I don't start thinking, man, I don't like him because he's black, or I don't like him because he's from where the Bahamas. I don't like this or that and the other. That's all cross-demonic. We're partnering with demons. And yeah, I'm saying that because the church needs to hear that. But then when we start to realize that I can... Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate that. You know, I feel like I, I feel like I was hitting my moment. You guys were hanging on the edge of your seats. Yeah, I appreciate that. You can make it up to me tomorrow night. All right. All right. But but think of this. Yeah. But think of this. If if you truly are a supernatural person, do you realize? The, 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 the words that you have, that you can become a partner with the architect of his life. Hebrews says the author and the finisher of his faith. And you can help and partner with Jesus to write his story. D- do you understand how powerful that is? That, that you know, in my day, can I, I mean, I just feel like, a, I feel a little honoring tonight, so I can't help it. And I might, you know, I'm just, <laughs> but you know, when I started the ministry at 20, Man, I was a crazy, I'm still crazy. I mean, just ask the elders, elders they'll tell you. But, but like, like the, the past, I know, but <laughs> you ain't even right. All right, you were supposed to be that excited about that comment. All right, so I'm 20 years old. The pastor says, you know, I'm probably like a year into being at the church, and the pastor says, oh, I'm going to have you preach on Wednesday night. And I felt like I had a little hubris. You know, I was feeling a little, much chest was out there, and, you know, I felt like I got that microphone, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, hey man, I have the power. And so, you know, I go out there, I get my little baptism of boldness, and I make, as a 20-year-old, probably one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever made. And trust me, I've made a lot. But I said, and I don't even know why I said I was grinding axe. I probably had something up my crop. But I said, oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. We had this little WM's ministry. They'd get in there and quilt and do stuff and then talk about the pastor and the worship pastor. And they didn't like it because I was in there doing a lot of modern progressive worship songs, and they were mad because we weren't using hymn books anymore. I called it the worship wars of the 90s. And so, anyway, I get up on that platform and I say, You know what? As long as I'm here, we ain't going to use no hymn book. How are you worshiping God if you got your nose buried in a book? Boom. I mean, like I declared war. Like I, I still, like I threw the gauntlet down and I said, Go. What you got? The pastor was gone on vacation. He gets back a week later. They're having private meetings on how to oust him out of the church. They didn't like him. I was the perfect excuse, and it all started from what I call the psychotic organist who, when he would play this organ, they have these big, we're singing like uh, Celebrate Jesus, Celebrate. He would lay into that thing. Those big antiphonal speakers would go, and you couldn't hear the drums. You couldn't hear anything. Alright, so the pastor gets back, he's like, what in the world, uh, like I just unleashed the hordes of hell on the church. So he's like, you're going to get up here and fix this, and he, he had a mess, I mean, I'm talking about it now, but it wasn't crazy, it was so crazy he had to go down to Rodney Howard Brown and get set free, and he did. That's what started the whole revival in our church. But let me write that back, the next week he said, you're going to get up there and fix that, and so fix that I did. I went up and said, all right, well, I didn't mean all that. I just meant to say that there are some hymns that are dumb. They're not even based on scriptural at all, and we're just not going to sing them. Like, for instance, Mansion Over the Hilltop. You know the, how, how carnal that really is. I don't care how nostalgic you are about going to heaven. You ain't waiting to get to heaven. You need to get up here and, and occupy till he comes right now. All right? The superintendent's wife in the region comes up to me. They went to church, went off on me. I got saved under that song I mean, she read me the riot act and then said I gotta go it's time for jeopardy and bam she was out the door. <laughs> now while I may in my flesh feel like I was very edifying to the church by saying that I was not and uh, the hindsight uh, I had to really go in and it, it became a really tough time for the church But, you know, because my mouth was so not in control, man, I started World War III. Now, in the end, I was wrong on that, without a doubt. But what I want to encourage you is is that because my mouth was not in submission to the Holy Spirit, look at how on fire my tongue was and what kind of a a controversy I created. And I feel like I'm pretty gifted at that for some weird reason. All right, so exhortation number two, the root word. Use here is mean to call near, invite, or to call for. Who, can I just say this? Can we just get the obvious out of the way? Who in this church do you think has the strongest gift of exhortation? Go. Who? One more time. Who do you think, B? Mick. Every time you get that guy, oh, Jesus, he's just coming close. You guys just, and that's what the gift of exhortation does. If you want to understand exhortation, it's not just, hey, you're all depressed and we want to encourage you. We get it. Everybody comes in here depressed. We get all that. But what the gift of exhortation does, so here's the thing. It doesn't just acknowledge, hey, you're depressed and you're all, you know, we need. No, no, it's not that. What the gift of exhortation does is it becomes the supernatural utterance that it releases a grace into the body that calls you close to God. So in worship, it's the most natural thing in the world to begin to exhort because it's it's natural to want to try to call people close or to call them out of their feeling of not being near to God. And it causes them into come into that nearness. So when exhortation is flowing right. Um, it's beautiful because it really does release a grace that calls people near. So I'm kind of joking about that. But exhortation's needed. People are discouraged all the time. You are in, uh, you're inundated by hell if you watch the, any amount of TV or if you read any kind of news. It's, it's, it's hell, hell, hell. It's the work of hell all the time. You rarely hear anything um, except, except what makes us cynical and jaded and all these things. And so exhortation calls us out of that. So we're architecting we're calling close and then the last thing is we're comforting that's why sometimes even in prophecy we can switch over and not even be able to tell the difference sometimes when it's exhortation and when it's prophecy they'll start to flow seamlessly together and sometimes we we can't tell the difference when it's someone just encouraging or when they actually are releasing a prophetic word because it's very comforting what they're saying how many of you got a word before that seemed to speak right into the middle of the situation where you were in. And it made you feel like, I get it, God really does see me. That's comforting. Can you imagine that the answer to the the work of hell in the earth is God releasing a prophetic people who can declare by the Spirit and combat and come against and overturn the negativity that comes straight out of hell? That's what the power of the prophetic... And you know why the prophecy gets so despised? Even if you can't afford to have that operating effectively in a church? Because the people of God will rise up in faith and encouragement, and they won't allow this cloud of discouragement and this doom of gloom to walk around them everywhere they go. That's what the power of prophecy does. It's not about really predicting who the next president is or that a a hurricane's coming to Florida. We get that. We know a hurricane's going to come here at some point. But I'm I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying the power of the prophetic lies in its ability to build. You with me on that? All right. The goal of prophecy. Um, NIV says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I say it this way. It's probably written in here somewhere. I don't prophesy for love. I prophesy from love to remind people, what? That they are loved. That the tainted, the, Titus says to the pure, all things are pure. To those who aren't, to those that are pure, they will prophesy out of their purity. To those who aren't and whose hearts are tainted by whatever, they will prophesy out of that impurity. But when my heart is in the right place, then what begins to happen is I will begin to speak out of the revelation that I am deeply loved. Therefore, I won't need to speak in such a way to get your love. But in the reverse, because I am loved, I'm speaking out of love or from love is probably the better way to say it. And as I'm able to do that, I can authentically reveal to you the Father's love. And this is why prophecy is so powerful. This is why God sort of moves it out of the idea that there were only certain prophets that would prophesy God's purposes. He moves it into the larger context of the church. Moses said when he was dedicating and laying hands on the elders, I think it was Aildad and Medad, just couldn't simply be bothered to be there but they were outside, and as the Holy Spirit began to move inside the tiber, the Tent of Meeting, the Holy Spirit begins to fall on all of them, and every single one of those elders began to prophesy. And Eldad and Medad outside, even though they weren't even in the meeting, but because Moses had already called them elders, began to prophesy. And they're ushered into Moses' presence. Forbid them to prophesy, Moses. They weren't even here. And Moses says, well, are you jealous for your sake or my sake or God's sake or whoever's sake? But then he says something that's so deeply profound. He says, I would. One translation says it this way. I wish that everybody would prophesy. Another translation says, I wish that everybody was prophets. Why? So they could prophesy. And then you see further on in Scripture, Joel answers Moses and he says, well, there's a time coming. Where well, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. It isn't going to just be a Moses or a few elders or a few prophets to Israel. The greatest, one of the greatest, most powerful truths of what Jesus did on our behalf wasn't just to get us saved and, or wasn't just to, just to forgive us of our sin. He, he was taking us way beyond that. It wasn't to help you with your porn problem. He destroyed the power of sin, right? It wasn't just to teach you how to manage your problem. He destroyed the power of what held you in bondage. But, but a wonderful byproduct of that is now all of us have access to the Holy Spirit. All of you do. Every single one of you. To the point where, um, and this is a lot of the reason why a lot of the mentality of the world, where in Hollywood and other places, we allow and give place to people that are superstars. We idolize them, sports, Hollywood, music, wherever. Wherever. And then we vicariously live the life they're living but wish we had. And we've brought this same mentality into the church because, are you ready? Because we believe that somehow these people you're idolizing in the Spirit have access to something that you don't. Can I just tell you there's no superstar prophet or apostle or anybody that has access to something you don't. We're all just called to do different things. We all just have different functions. But, but when we start to realize that God isn't making available to them something, He's not making available to you in the Spirit, then you know what happens? We lose the need to believe that, that whoever it is you're so infatuated with in the kingdom, that they're not really all that. I mean, I could really get really practical here and tell you they do a lot of the same things you do. And so my point in saying that is, is when we begin to realize that we are all gifted and that we are all empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that when God raises up even powerfully anointed people, he's not calling us to worship at their shrine. Can I just tell you, you don't exist to be someone else's audience member. Can I just that? But that? But you do exist. Every leader God raises up is so that you are thoroughly equipped. Man, I look, you know what I pray about revival? Man, I pray that God would start turning the hearts of leaders, that they would stop looking at you as, as existing to build their ministries, and they would start looking at you going, Man, i got to help these people become who God wants them to be. All right, the goal. Three, the Passion Translation says when someone prophesies, he speaks to encourage people, to build them up, and to bring them comfort. You know why you don't have to be afraid of prophecy? Because prophecy isn't designed to to, to tell your deep, dark secrets so you're embarrassed in front of a whole congregation of people. I can tell you there's there's times when I prophesy to people, and I wouldn't see other people for like weeks. They'd avoid me like the plague because they were scared. I'd get their number, and I'd start telling them things, and I'd reveal it to the whole body. He never does that. I shouldn't say never. He rarely does that. And only after a lot of serious work in the Spirit. But prophecy isn't meant to bring shame to you and embarrassment to you. You don't have to be afraid of it. But when you start to see that God's design for prophecy is is, is it puts you in the place of being an architect where you help God build in the Spirit. Isn't that good? All right, so moving on. The gift of prophecy in action. Why? John 6.33 It releases spirit and life to the hearer. The spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, I'm not saying that your prophecy is equal to the word of God, which is essentially what he's saying. But I'm saying in a measure, when you are submitted to the Lord and your words are truly authentically prophetic, they should be spirit and life to people. They should create life in people. Number two, in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, to edify, exhort, comfort, build up, and encourage. When someone prophesies, he speaks to encourage people to build them up and to bring them comfort. And 1 Corinthians 13, I love what that says, the great love chapter. Prophecy exists to release faith, hope, and love. When we were here the other week, we were praying about the gift of faith being released into this body. That was, a, that was prophecy starting to happen. And what happened? when we started to speak it out now prophecy came while I was praying right it, it doesn't have to you, you realize you, you realize prophecies happening all the time you're just not recognizing the package that's coming in right oh I well, can't be prophecy they were praying why not and so we're praying about the gift of faith and the next thing you know it starts to release faith for faith w- would you not agree with that Su- Sunday morning hey it's an overcomer, It's an overcoming spirit There was something prophetic about that. It was a prophetic direction. The the direction in the body was overcoming. The elders were hearing by the Lord, or whoever came up with that. Was that you guys? You guys came up with that? So they were hearing by the Spirit. They announced it, declared it. it. It began to release the grace for it. And so what happened? That prophetic declaration released faith. We're, we're declaring at the end, Barry writes all these declarations, and you're, you're, everybody in the church is saying them, and as you're saying them, and by the way, you know those are prophetic declarations, right? And then, now Barry wrote those. Did't you write those? Okay, so oh, did he just come up with that of his imagination? No, the Holy Spirit inspired it. And so what we're all doing corporately, when we were uh, uh, declaring those, we were coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit, and we were prophesying together well how can i say that because the prophetic word came through barry we all came into agreement we declared it together and as one assembly we declared prophetically god's thoughts for this body boom and what does it do it creates life it creates faith it creates love it brings us together the prophetic word is about life not tearing down and destroying right I've been in uh, some wild situations where, man, the prophetic was, was used as a very powerful weapon to tear down what God was building. And it, all, and it almost always comes through unhealthy people who, who are being used by the enemy and don't even know it. I had a lady in the church, she was, I have the discerning of spirits. But what she discerned all the time is all the unhealthy junk in people. That's not healthy. We shouldn't always be seeing demons in people and looking. At, 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 you, you realize, you know, at, the, at my darkest time, I was. Um, can I just be real with you guys a little bit, and I'll move on here. We got a little bit of time. I'm, I'll wrap it up here. But, but you know, when in 2011, I was in a really powerful. I was in a really cynical, jaded time in my life, and, and I would say that what centered around it more than anything. Was I had been? And I'm gonna just be real with you guys. I'd been, I'd been super connected to people that were hardcore in the faith movement. And and in that, there was a culture. And I'm not, I'm not here to, I'm not here to just tear that people down. But I'm just telling you, there was a, there was enough of a culture in there where I saw a lot of these realities that really jaded me because. In the name of faith, they could do some of the worst atrocities to people. It's, it's amazing what, I mean, just crazy things would happen in the name of faith. And, and faith is not wrong. It's my, it's my exaggerations of it that become the problem. So anyway, we're going through counseling, and there, uh, the lady was starting to get to it, and she, she hit a button in me. And it's, oh no, what it was. The person that was on the other side of the counseling was deep in the faith movement. And I didn't trust her for anything for that very reason. And she did something one day that pushed a button in me when I was talking. And man, I, not, I didn't let her have it. But, but I started to talk to her about why I thought all these shysters out there wanting us to buy them airplanes and all this stuff like that. I mean, I was totally jaded. But then she made a comment to me that changed my life. She said, Derek, You can't do one thing about any of that except let it kill your soul. And while I thought I was justified in my indictment of many of these men who did that, that wasn't doing a thing to them, but it was killing me because it was causing my heart to live impure. And so what happens is in the gift, this young woman in this church, all she could see was the impurity because her heart was tainted. And we all do that. I've been through many moments in my life where I had to just stop prophesying in general and not saying a lot because my heart had gotten offended and, I was, and it's too tempting to want to speak out of your offense. You can't do that. You destroy people. Um, so moving on, 1 Corinthians 13, to release faith, hope, and love. Now let me do this really quickly. The Beatitudes, middle of page 45, the Beatitudes of the prophetic. What I would encourage us all to do as a body, is to get into the attitudes that we should be all right so number one be positive well we don't want ear tickling words i would rather you have an ear tickling word than one that tears people down like if i had if i have to pick do the ear tickling word. and most of the time what we think is ear tickling isn't really it's building up now if you're prophesying wealth health and you, you know all these big things and it's grandiose and you've got the call to the nations and you are you're going to have the number one amazon all that kind of stuff no that's probably getting a little ear tickling have you ever noticed that in prophecy god's never really getting to say like have you ever received the word that said hey um be strong because the next month you're going to come you know brandon did this to me i was telling him this the other day yeah please don't prophesy to me again no he did so last year i'm doing the first gift and he says he sends me this little voice my like, freaking thanks brandon but it was good. I know, right? He's got my mind. So, uh, so he says, hey, you know, the, the, the Lord just kind of says to me, I think he was praying or something. I just, the Lord just kind of says, uh, hey, you know, the enemy's going to come against your mind, but the Lord says, you know, you're going to, um, he's going to really try to work, do a work on your mind. And, um, and he said, but you know what? The Lord's going to remind you all the foundational things he's taught you, and you're going to overcome that. Now, he said that to me, I think it was like last October or November, or something like that. I was like, and I, I remember even thinking, you know, I, I love that, brother. I appreciate it. But he couldn't be further from the truth. But good Lord, January hit. <laughs> February, March. I think we've, I finally ended up going back in talking in June. And of course, Brandon had to remind me of the word and resend me the text. And I'm thinking, okay, this is super cool. Like, well, this is really good what he did. Oh, but then July and then August. And I was telling my wife the other day, uh, out of all the year, my 51 years, this year has been the longest period of warfare I've ever been in in my life. That's real. And I, and, and I will tell you this, that God's reminded me countless times of that word he gave me. But how many of you say, oh, no, brother, what are you doing? Stop talking negativity. What are you doing? You know, talk to me about my, talk to me about how God's going to promote me. Oh, man, the best one out there, he's going to accelerate I can't tell you one time where God's ever accelerated by his grace. Can you just ignore that every time he gives you that? Because you don't want acceleration. You're not really getting it when he accelerates it. The deepest works of God in your life aren't accelerated. They take a long time, and it's painful. All right, Am I right, Brandon? You know I'm right. All right, uh, moving on. So brief, be brief. Be positive. It's okay to be positive. It's okay to be. Everybody say, it's okay, okay. to be positive. You want to be positive. It's all good. All right, be brief. Uh, Don't do what I do and talk for five hours. And and, and I I asked this brother, hey, what did you pick out of my prophecy? I don't know. It's going to take me time to to digest all 30 minutes of it. Uh, Number three, be kind. Remember, treat people the way you would like to be treated. Woman, where are your accusers? Right? Don't be an accuser. We all miss it. I miss it. We all miss it. But in our prophetic utterance, be kind to people. Treat people with kindness. And then when you're prophetic, and this is a real deal, real strength expresses humility. Insecurity expresses hardness. Jesus wasn't hard. He was humble. And he was gentle. And he was meek. Yet he had more authority than anybody else on this planet you with me on that so so being humble is a good thing when i want to everyone to see how spiritual i am that's not humble. that's pride and so the next thing is the hardest one probably out of all of them be teachable do you realize you're going to miss it i still miss it and depending on how hard i miss it or how big i miss it if it's a big miss I'll be quiet for a while just to make sure that my heart's postured right because I shouldn't be doing big misses. If I am, something's wrong in me, right? But be teachable. You don't want to be afraid of if you come up and say something crazy and the elders say, "No, listen, you you can't talk like that. It's it's because they don't love It's not that they don't love you. They do love you. Do you realize they wouldn't love you if they don't want to correct you? You don't love people that you don't correct. Can I say that? When you don't want to correct people, you love yourself more than the person. You know why that, do I need to explain that? Do do I need to break that down? You know that's true. So love confronts in a healthy, humble way. And so you want to run to correction, not away from it, because what we, and especially in the prophetic, if we're not teachable, the Lord really can't entrust us with deeper, more meaningful words because we have to have a teachable heart. All of us do. Last one is be bold. Now, I want to the, the final thing I want to say, jump to 46. You guys are going to have to look at the rest of this on your own. But this is where I want to end with. Number one, stay within the guardrails. You're not Kim Clement, Charlie Shamp, Jeremiah Johnson, none of that. Stay within the guardrails. They need to stay in the guardrails. All right? Realize that guardrails are to help us from getting off track. You don't want to run off the road, right? So it's safer to stay in the guardrails. Can I say that one of the, the greatest guardrails, and I mean this. I'm not saying this because it gets me brownie points, right? Um, I feel like I couldn't get enough brownie points uh, to make up for some of the crazy stuff I've done. But, but what I would say to you is the guardrails, some of the greatest guardrails you get are leaders that God puts in place. And the temptation to say they're not spiritual, they don't know what they're talking about. They're repressing my great calling. They're limit- No, they're not. They're watching out for your soul so you don't run into a ditch, or if you're sailing around the little ocean of the prophetic, you don't get shipwrecked somewhere. So the greatest guardrails that you have are elders and leaders. That really is the truth. Um, and Mike Bickle tells a story in in his book Growing of the Prophetic. He tells a story of what it was like to be hanging out with Bob Jones and, and um, you know all the, the, the Kansas City Seven, they used to call them. And one of the biggest things he'll tell you in that book is he said, prophets come in larger than life and they make you feel like you're spirit, more spiritual than everybody else and, and you get tempted not to hold them to the same standard. Never do that. And so what ends up happening is what we, what we tend to do is if we don't keep the guardrails in place for everyone, and that's really why God raises up leaders, not to keep you repressed, depressed, or suppressed, but to keep everybody flowing on that highway to heaven the right way and so we don't get off into error that can shipwreck our faith. That's real. Uh, you guys remember the little story of the cat lady? She's resurrecting cats, and the product of that they're trying to she you know the cat died she froze it and then the lord told her oh it was time to to, to unthaw the cat and he's going to raise it from the dead and he didn't you know why she did that because she went to this church it was called uh, i think they're long gone but i won't say the name you look if you looked it up in the phone book it was such and such the prophecy church and so what happened they had everybody thinking all this weird stuff and that lady was devastated and her kids were terrified Like they were scared because their mom threw this dead cat up on the counter and was trying to bring it back to life. (laughs) Two, impart hope. Three, prophesy the promise. You're never going to go wrong. Let me jump back up. You're never going to go wrong if the goal of what you're saying is to bring hope to people, right? Prophesy the promise. Prophesy the word. Do you realize the most prophetic utterances is when God quickens to you a passage of scripture that becomes relevant in the here and now. I'm going to tell you one quick story. Some of you know this, but uh, years ago, a man by the name, he, he co-wrote the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. His name's Dick Mills, and he was probably one of the most powerful prophets in his day. He, he memorized, essentially, the whole entire Bible. And we'd come to he'd come to our church once a year, he took a particular affection to me as, as a worship leader there, and so he was always encouraging me every time he came. And he'd, he'd come up to you and he'd give you, would say like Job 10, 5. He'd, he'd quote to you the scripture by memory. And then he'd tell you why that scripture was relevant and specific to your life at the moment. Well, he'd done that. But anyway, the second or third time he came back around, he, he had written the Companion to the Spirit-Filled uh, Life Study Bible. And it was the, like, devotional. And in it, he had written a prophecy to me, and 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 I'm ashamed to tell you, I don't even think I ever read the book. Like I got got the book, didn't even know it was in there. And uh, in 2017, my wife and I are preparing to move to Florida, and this book had made it past every purge I'd ever made. There's times I like, I was at one point in like 20. 15, I was so sick of the charismatic movement. I threw every charismatic book I had away. I was like, this is trash. It's just so annoying. I'm so annoyed that I bought it. And most of it was. It was just ridiculous nonsense. Um, but, but, but that book made that purge, and it made several. I'm like, I, if a book just sits on my shelf, I'm giving it away. Like, I'm a, I want somebody to read it, if it's worth reading. So i would given all these books away, and so Ginger has this little shelf. It's a little tiny bookshelf, two shelves. So said, anything on this shelf, you don't get to touch. And that book, got put on that shelf for years. It went every move that we made. And we're packing to leave Montana in 2017. She opens up the book and sees the word and it was the very thing we had been praying. That word that word would have never made any sense until that time when she picked she came in the kitchen crying. And it let us know that we were right on track with what God was saying to do. He had guided us. He would given a prophet. Why could I believe that? Because he gave a prophet to us 20 years, and he didn't allow us to see it until just the right time. That's the power of prophecy. And then lastly, don't prophesy mates. Now, only because I love her. Sylvia did that, and she was right. But shame on you. Don't you ever do that again? No, I'm kidding. Oh Stay away from that. Sometimes people, I, you know I love you, you, know, you, know, you. You're still my favorite. Don't tell anybody. All right. Um, no, but, but don't prophesy mates, mate. Stay away from that. Don't do that. Because then that makes you and God responsible for that. Don't do that. Whenever you say, thus says the Lord, what you're really saying, so who are you to argue with God? You don't ever want to do that. All right. Stay away from mates. Stay away from dates. Because it can't be anointed unless it's a, 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 a alliteration, right? Stay away from don't prophesy money. The Didache, it's a fun read if you ever did. If the, a, a, hey, if an apostle comes along and he starts to prophesy money, call him a false prophet and kick him out of the church. That's the literal translation. So the point is don't prophesy money. It's manipulation. God doesn't like it. All right? Don't prophesy pregnancy. Don't try to guess the sex of unborn children. Okay, don't do that. And if hey, you got a 50-50 chance to be right, and who cares? We're going to find out in nine months anyway, right? Are you with me? Stop it. And I know some of you laughing because you've been doing that. I'll no, stop. No-brainer. Don't ever prophesy anything that contradicts Scripture don't reinterpret scripture to make your prophecy right right last one don't prophesy that someone is an apostle or a prophet don't resist the urge don't do it okay how many of you ever prophesied somebody is an apostle or prophet yeah, good I'm proud of you the reason why you don't want to do that is probably you're going to be wrong and, and before that, understand that people have to go through a big process. It's painful. And the moment you start declaring that stuff over people, you put them on a pathway that really only leaders can bring them into you. So what you don't want to do is puff up people's heads and do that kind of stuff. What I would call, encourage you to do, rather than saying they're in a prophet or whatever else, think about why you're saying that and then prophesy around it. Don't prophesy it. I believe God's going to use you as a mouthpiece. Nothing really wrong with that. I mean, that's pretty safe. But again, don't feel the need to have to predict. That's not the point. I promise you. I promise you. You guys trust me? I promise you God's going to let that person know even if you don't tell them. And what we do is by doing stuff like that, we cause a lot of confusion. And many times we create hearts. This one guy, I was reading a book on the prophetic, and uh, he's a recognized prophet. And he said, in a matter of one week, because he was traveling with a um, speaker friend of his, I forget his name, but and he said, everywhere he went, he was this sidekick. Everywhere, uh, you know, he was he was uh, ministering. Like I think it was a five day stretch in somewhere a different place every night. And he said, every single night, someone came up to him and prophesied that he was a different five-fold minister. First night he was a pastor, second night he was an evangelist, third night he was a teacher, fourth night he was a prophet, fifth night he was an apostle. He said he walked away from that week so confused about who he was. And I think I could be making this up, but I think it was probably years later or sometime later before God straightened him out because he's confused. And these are all reputable people. These weren't just normal people. So the idea is we want want to let, because here's the thing, you don't want to prophesy that and then leave a mess for the elders to clean up.